Now, as we continue our discussion on religion and those kind of things, I'm actually going to welcome our next speaker up onto the stage. Here he is, Jez. So as he comes up, make him feel welcome. Jez, before you tell us what you're going to tell us, we'd like to know a bit about you. We have heard from Glennis this morning a bit about school and school experience, and I understand your dad is a school principal. He is. And recently retired. So how does that affect your schooling? Is that like, is that a, a, is that a good thing or a bad thing, having your dad as the school um, principal? Yeah, he actually taught me for three or four years in primary school as well, which was a bit weird, kind of sitting under the blackboard of the teacher that was my dad. And <laughs> you couldn't go home and get away with anything. So, so. counselling needed for that? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, um, school was, I mean, it's, I was a kid, you just, it's what it is and survived it yep. yeah oh good so you're here to tell the tale what a, what's life for you like now what does what fills your day oh we've got um four kids six and under and so craziness really is is, is our <laughs> life and well there's um there's a bunch of laughs there's more cries of the kids and even us <laughs> just like just trying to survive at the moment yeah it's i'm uh, uh i'm full-time here at the church um trying to tell people about the things of the Bible and Jesus and uh, doing my best to be a dad and a husband and all that. Yeah, great. So uh, you're speaking to us today on, I'm pretty happy, so why do I need religion? So you've got four cut kids under six, so you're obviously happy most of the time <laughs> and you work for the church and so that kind of, I guess, informs what you're going to say to us. So we're looking forward to hearing what you've got to say, so I'll let you take the floor. Good. Well, we're six days into a new year, and uh, I wonder how your New Year's resolutions are going. Um, By now, the stats tell us that 25% of us have failed in our New Year's resolutions. A bit depressing, isn't it? One of my New Year's resolutions this year is actually a carryover from last, which doesn't give me much hope that I'm going to do it. Um, It's about five years ago, my wife, Bree, bought me a set of weights. And the only time that I've lifted them is in and out of the car when I've collected them, right? So they've been under my house collecting dust. So this year is the year I'm going to get them out and I'm going to get me some guns in 2015. I'm going to get cut, not because I want to be that guy that has to walk sideways through a door. I just, I just want to be able to pick up my kids without doing my back, yeah? That's, that's where my body is at. So that's on the list for me, 2015. I haven't done it yet, but there's one more day before I'm considered failed. What about you? That's one of my resolutions. What are the things that we are wanting to add or subtract or change in 2015? Give them to me. Throw them out. We can help you be accountable to those things. We've got a big group going, you been going to the gym, sister? What are they? What do we want to... Drink more water. Yeah, good. It's pretty boring, but... That's a good one. It's pretty... It's pretty easy to keep that one too, isn't it? I'm going to keep that right now. What else? Be less anxious. Yeah, good, good. Don't get anxious about not being less anxious as you try and do that one. What else? A diet. Yeah, lose weight. That's always a big one. Although they've got to have some exception clauses in it, don't they? Like weekends and birthdays and holidays and but yeah try and eat better what else keep a journal journal. yeah that's good 
I, I got some really good advice many years ago by someone who had five kids, and he was telling me how they would bring out this little black book that they'd been tracking, just those memorable events with the kids that he knew he would forget if he didn't write them down. And so they would sit around the dinner table as adults and be able to read and laugh and reflect on those things. So we've been doing that, and it's been really special already. We read some things that we would have otherwise forget. So journaling, recording, is really good. Exercising is always a big one, isn't it? Um, I saw a post on my Facebook wall this morning that said, if you exercise before breakfast, you, were, you burn off more fat. Um, I think most of us would be happy just to exercise any time, wouldn't it? <laughs> just doesn't have to be before breakfast. Um, saving money is also a big one on people's list. Because did you know that if you have a kid now, over the next 18 years, it's calculated they're going to cost you $1 million. <laughs> I'm $4 million in the red already. That's insane, isn't it? Wow, good luck being less anxious if you've got kids. So when you consider our New Year's resolutions and you consider the motivation behind them, what is it? I reckon it's pretty simple. It's that we want to be happy. We want to be happy. It's the big thing in life that we're all chasing after, isn't it? It's the end point of the movies that we love and re-watch. It's the theme song of the movies that our kids watch, because I'm happy, you know, it just, it's, it's everywhere. Happiness is apparently what we open when we crack open a bottle of Coke. Have you seen the ads? Happiness is the thing that I hear parents speaking as the ultimate thing that we want for our kids. Whether they grow up to be rich or poor or smart or slow or arty or sporty, we just want them to be happy. And so we try and direct them to the things that we think will make them happy. But I noticed that as we shared on what the things we are we're working on this year, none of you said, I'm resolving in 2015 to be more religious. <laughs> which brings me to the question that I've been asked to address this morning, which is, I'm pretty happy. Why do I need religion? In fact, I think that's the attitude of most people on the Central Coast. Because, hello, look at where we live. You know, most people in the world would trade places with us in an instant. Um, Okay, there's things that we need to improve on, that we want to better. But really, you want to talk to me about a God and a heaven? Have a look at where I live. I'm here. I'm in the promised land. And in fact, I think most people think that religion is actually going to be something that gets in the way of happiness, not something that's going to lead to it. And so many of those people in our community would be surprised to hear of the findings of much research, much research that's gone into what brings about our well-being. We want well-being rightly so much that we pour heaps of resources into studying what leads to it. And guess what? The conclusive finding overwhelmingly, of all of the research across all of the world, finds that it's the person who has a religious faith who is far greater off in their well-being than those who do not. Now, the religious person that's being spoken of here is not the one who just ticks a box on a census. It's the person who lets their faith actually impact all of their life. And so, I've been trawling through some of the research of economists, psychologists, sociologists, and more. And let me just give you a short list of the benefits belonging to those with 
a religious faith. These people can expect a longer life expectancy, less stress in that longer life, a greater sense of purpose, meaning and direction, more optimism about the future, more positive emotions connected to things like forgiveness, hope, transformation, stronger marriages, a greater enjoyment of sex. And if you're not religious, you think, I'll have what she's having. You know, that, that sounds pretty good, that list. But of course, these studies have been of real people living in the real world and life is not always rosy. So this is not saying that religious people never go through hardship, but overwhelmingly, again, the stats show that people who have a faith are able to cope better through hardship and actually recover better from it. So there you go. Just the simple science is in that shows people of a religious faith have a greater well-being and therefore happiness connected to that than those who don't. I think that's surprising, maybe for you this morning. Which means we've got to ask the question, why is that the case? Why? Why are religious people happier? And I reckon there's tons of reasons, tons and tons. Let me just give you two. And do it in a way that funnels down, firstly by speaking of religion broadly and generally, and then a second one coming at it from the Christian religion, which I trust won't be a surprise to you since you're sitting in the car park of a Christian church. So, firstly, I think religious people are happier because we all desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Bigger than ourselves. Have you ever had those moments where you're outside, you're laying back up into the night sky, and you're just looking at that plethora of stars? And I know it's hard to find time to kind of reflect like that, but when you do, it's an awesome experience, isn't it? In fact, it can be more than just awesome. It can be belittling. I can feel so tiny and insignificant. And if I'm reflecting, I can go, what is my life? What, what, what are these few frantic years on this tiny speck of a planet Earth in the scheme of all of this? Well, if you don't have a belief system that says there is actually more to your life than what you can see, then it's no surprise to me that you can be left feeling little and insignificant, irrelevant. Because after all, that would make us just an accidental, random, biological accident. So when you get to that honest place of asking the big questions, it's not surprising to me that those who have a system of belief that says there is a God, there is a life beyond this one, and that history is actually heading to a point, it's not surprising to me that those people have a greater sense of fulfilment and purpose and meaning in life than those who just think we're accidents, who live and die and rot. And I see that on the program, Craig's going to push into this issue further on Friday about evolution and science and meaning and those kind of things. So there's the first reason why I think people with a religious faith actually are happier. Because religion meets our desire that our life story is actually part of a greater and grander narrative. That these few short years actually do matter. There's the first reason. 
But the second reason I want to give you is from a Christian religion point of view, a reason why there is a greater sense of well-being. And there are lots of things I could give you from a Christian aspect, and this one isn't actually the biggest. But I'll give it to you because it connects in to the question that I'm addressing, which is happiness. One of the benefits of Christianity is that it offers something way better than happiness. Way better than happiness. It offers joy. Now, joy is a little bit of a weird word, so let me try and contrast the two things for you. See, when you think about happiness, it's circumstantial. It depends on my circumstances around me or in me to be going well in order for me to be happy. See, for me, if the sun is shining, if I've got some vitamin D, if I've had enough sleep, and if I'm eating Chinese, I'm happy. (laughs) I'm a happy guy. But the next day, if it's raining, if I'm tired and I'm paying for having eaten Chinese, I'm unhappy. That's how fleeting happiness can be. But our happiness that depends on circumstance is also so fragile because the things that it's based in are fragile. See, money, if money is the source of your happiness, how quickly does that slip through your fingers, especially with four kids that cost you a million bucks each? (laughs) Or if it's in youth and vitality, oh, how quickly does that disappear? I jumped on the trampoline with my kids for two minutes yesterday, I've woken up just so sore. If the source of your happiness is in your health, oh, that's pretty good until you find a lump or until you get that call from your doctor. Happiness is a roller coaster ride. But this joy that the Bible is offering is something completely different because it's deep seated, it is solid, it is substantial, it is long lasting. You could speak of it as contentment, you could speak of it as rest, as an anchor for your life that's not going anywhere. And see, that's, here's the key the key to this joy that the Bible offers is that the roots to it lay outside of our circumstances and actually lay outside of myself. So they can do what they're going to do, but this thing stays solid. And here's the thing about the joy that the Bible offers. It offers it to you right here, right now, in time and space, amongst the craziness of our lives. But the key to it is its source lays beyond the craziness of our lives. Happiness is forever a roller coaster ride, but Christian joy holds out something that is solid. And here's the other thing about it that it holds out it's not at odds with sorrow. This is a big one. Christian joy is not at odds with sorrow. One of the things I love about the Bible, I love about Jesus, that really gripped me as I read it as an adult, or reread it, I grew up with it all around me, but I really read it as an adult, is that Jesus tells life how it is. And he doesn't try and sugarcoat it. And as I'm reading what he says, I'm like, yes, that's, that's my life. That's how I experience it. And he doesn't deny and diminish pain. In fact, he experiences it. He walks through it. So the Bible holds out this joy that acknowledges sorrow, but is not crushed by it. Just last week, Christmas Eve, I spent some time with a young man in his mid-twenties named Chris, who had just lost his brother suddenly and tragically through suicide. Christmas. And as you can imagine, I'm sitting with him and he's devastated. He's 
absolutely torn to bits, reeling from pain, grief, loss. But in the midst of this pain, he said to me, you know what? I am so glad that I have a joy that cannot be taken from me, even if my brother can be. So glad that he has a joy that has its roots outside the decaying and deadly circumstances of this world. And Chris, he's a follower of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus who came into our world 2,000 years and we have documented his words. And he said this, amongst many things, I have come to bring you life. And not just any old life, but life to the full. So there you have it. The very founder of the Christian religion is the one who claims to be the source to our ultimate well-being, to the life that we all desire. And I say the Christian religion because in a formal sense, that's what it is. Christianity is one of the world's major religions. But as we just heard Andrew speak about, it's also radically unique in a whole number of ways. But especially in addressing the question, how do I connect with God? So that's what all religions are doing as they go down the stream Andrew spoke about. But Jesus, Christianity, speaks about how we connect with God radically differently. All these religions you could lump together and they would say, you connect with God and you access this well-being that he will offer you by working your way to well-being. By actually working really hard in your efforts to connect with that. In Judaism, it's the Ten Commandments. In Buddhism, it's the Eightfold Path. In Islam, it's the Five Pillars. They all have these things that you have to work really conscientiously to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really daunting news to me who can't even keep a simple New Year's resolution just to, read, just to ride my bike for, just to lift a couple of weights. But Christianity, Jesus, offers a radically different answer to accessing this well-being. And it's not that we have to work our way to it, but that God actually comes and brings it to us. Actually comes in Jesus and he becomes this source outside of our circumstances and lives which remains solemn. So there's a second reason why I think religious people are happier, have a greater sense of well-being, particularly those who are following the Christian religion. Because life is hard. And don't we all want something that we could anchor to so that when the times are good, great, but when, man, the waves are blowing, I'm staying moored. I'm not floating away. It's no surprise to me that Christians have a greater sense of well-being. But let me finish with this. And it's a big but, because if all I were to do this morning was to bring you the scientific evidence that religious people are generally happier... I will have done you a disservice, a disservice, because this is really important. Something can be useful without being true. Something can be useful without being true. In fact, many things are useful because they hide us from the truth. They mask the truth. Give an example, I've got four kids, which means, as I said, there is lots of laughing, but there seems to be a whole lot more crying in my house for all sorts of reasons, but, you know, they've fallen over and they've hurt themselves. And so I've had a bunch of years now of dealing with crying kids who are hurting, and you work out pretty quickly as a parent, there's one thing that'll usually stop the crying, a Band-Aid. 
but not just any Band-Aid. It's got to have Dusty, the snow cropper, or um, you know, Queen Elsa, or whatever the latest fad is. It'll pretty much stop the crying. But get this, I've done some experimenting with my crying sore kids. Um, they've come to me and go, oh, my knee, my knee. I'm like, which knee? And oh, this one. So I get the Band-Aid and I put it on the other knee. And guess what? Crying stops. Some things can be useful without actually being true. Some things are useful because they are a placebo and numb us from the truth. And so just because I've told you that religious people are generally happier doesn't mean they're on to what is true. And conversely, just because you might think you've got a sweet life that's happy and it has nothing to do with religion doesn't mean that you're onto the truth. So I reckon the big question for us is this. Do we want to live lives that simply work, that are as happy as we can make them, even if we know we're putting a Band-Aid on the wrong knee? Or do we want to live lives that are actually built on what is true? Here's the radical thing about Jesus, who does offer ultimate well-being. Those claims are backed up by evidences. Andrew mentioned a couple of them. Evidences in history that you can push and prod and test to see if it's all true. And, man, do this. Please do this. It is a massive thing to investigate. Um, In your books, I saw something printed called Life. We run a series where this is just for you to come and do that pushing and prodding and asking of questions. Um, It's one of my privileges I get to speak of that and do this journey with people who are looking into these things. Come to that. Come to the next four weeks as we consider what the community is saying about what would fix the world. But look into these things. And as I've done that, as an adult, tested the evidences, I've found them to be true and therefore know that I am building my life on the truth and know that I am on the right track to ultimate well-being. I'll leave it there and hand back to Amber. Um, as she is coming up, though, I saw the bookshop and uh, just, man, you got book overload, but let me give you a few more. Three, um, the first one is the shortest one. It's called If I Were God, I'd Make Myself Clearer. It's in the series that Amber um, referred to earlier about the pain one. Really simple, really good. Talks about the uniqueness of Jesus, Christianity, compared to all the other religions. Another one is called Nothing in My Hands I Bring. It's still pretty thin, really easy to read. This is great for you if you've had some kind of Catholic upbringing. Um, Because it's written by a man who had exactly that, his Maltese, and he came to work out that Jesus was actually talking about completely different things to his Catholic tradition. This is super, super good. Um, And this one that I haven't read but have had recommended to me, it's thicker if you want to press into the kind of more precise differences between the religions. It's called A Spectator's Guide to World Religions. I'll let the ladies at the bookshop know what they are so they can remember. Great. Thanks, Jez.